everyone welcome welcome to the um, for, to a very interesting discussion with with our uh, panelists today so today we have a, a webinar about boost, boosting e-commerce sales with digital experience platform today we have with us uh, tom sullivan is head of e-commerce sales in nz distribution at Fletcher building we have ritesh patel is gm of uh, digital and transformations at distribution division of Fletcher building uh, we have Jason Hines, he is a principal B2B strategist at Bloomreach. We have Scott Bogley, he is a specialist account executive from SAP customer experience side. And we have uh, Hema Priya. Hema Priya is a project manager who implemented the Bloomreach solutions for um, placemakers. And uh, I am Magesh Ramamurthy, I'm the account manager for uh, placemakers. So we have, we have uh, veterans from the b2b industry uh, today who will uh, talk us through the uh, journey they took in implementing a, a, a very successful uh, digital platform small overview about uh, royal cyber uh, who's hosting this uh, webinar and i will hand it over to uh, ratesh and tom to tell us the story about how the placemakers customer experience journey has started and how it has matured Along the way, there'll be quite a lot of insights about the projects and the program that that helped us uh, uh, to come to the stage. Throughout this presentation, we will have Scott and Jason adding nuggets about how the platform helped the both Bloomridge and SAP uh, cloud commerce platform helped in achieving the goals. We will close it out with with a Q and A at the end of it. So you will you know, all all of you will be muted during the course of this um, uh, presentation. At any point you have any questions, uh, click on the hand button on the screen. That will um, uh, tell us that you have some questions. At the end of the Q&A session, we will open up your mic to either ask a question or alternatively put your questions in the chat. We will read it out to the uh, panelists and they will answer during the Q&A session. Uh, welcome, welcome all your questions and uh, during the session. So about Royal Cyber. So Royal Cyber is a, is a IT services company uh, based out of uh, Chicago uh, with, with offshore development centers in uh, Chennai, Bangalore, and Karachi um, in India and Pakistan. We have about like 1,000 plus uh, employees globally, clients of more than about 130 customers globally in, in 12 plus industries uh, with eight offices around the world and uh, three uh, innovation and uh, product development centers. Royal Cyber focuses on pretty much everything digital and uh, with, with highlight on customer experience and uh, digital transfer transformation. Latest things like big data, mobile technologies, business intelligence, robotic process automations, cloud and commerce, middleware and DevOps. So these are, these are different areas where we have specialization in. We are very proud to be partnered with uh, placemakers in helping them uh, accomplish their uh, digital journey and a lot of the work we have done um, across uh, around the world is appreciated by uh, by receiving certain awards like uh, best uh, place to work uh, award um, in us and also best best cloud company uh, in us and uh, we have partnership with with uh, leading platforms like sap commerce Bloomridge, uh, a partnership with other uh, e-commerce platforms as well, uh, like uh, uh, Commerce Cloud, uh, sorry, um, like Salesforce uh, and Adobe kind of solutions as well. So I'll hand it over to Ritesh to quickly give an introduction about the Fletcher Group and also specifically about tastemakers and uh, uh, set the context for this uh, webinar. Thanks, Magesh. Um, look, the Fletcher Group um, is a division of businesses across Australia and New Zealand. Uh, you know, the um, the revenue as a group is above uh, $9 million over 20,000 employees across the organization. Uh, our divisions range from construction, building materials, manufacturing, to distribution. Uh, placemakers is part of the, of the distribution division. Uh, it's it's a... $1.8 billion division with 3,000 employees. And primarily, we're the largest building merchant in New Zealand, over 65 branches. We also have a plumbing supplies business called MICA, which is the leading plumbing supplies business in New Zealand uh, with another 60 plus odd branches. So this implementation, what we're talking about is how we're digitizing and transforming the placemakers organization. Two years ago, placemakers was a very analog organization 
majority of, of his transactions was through phone, fax, email, a very high touch business. Over the last two years, we made a very deliberate journey to digitize our business, to digitize our operations, uh, and, 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 and get the customer involved in our, in, our, in our journey. So that means that we partnered with um, SAP, Hybris and Royal Cyber, and we launched a lot of customer-facing digital platforms, the Placemakers Trade app, the Placemakers Trade portal, uh, the our Placemakers consumer B2C site, all on this hybrid stack. One of the things we realized is we needed to accelerate our product discovery and, and search. And, and a year ago, we, we uh, reached out to Bloom Region and discussions, and since then, this solution uh, on our platform. So what I'll do now is get Tom to talk about our Bloomridge journey and the benefits that it has for the organization. Thanks, Prakash. Uh, if you can, can jump forward one. So just sort of to, to second and emphasize what Pratish was saying, the, the framework I'll, I'll start by talking about today is some of the wider context around how we embarked on this journey, some of the deliberate steps that we took, um, and a bit of focus on the B2B customer. And so I'll primarily be talking um, to this discovery journey and our partnerships from a B2B framework. Um, and it's important to recognize that the placemakers um, as a business, about one and a half billion dollars in revenue, that's 95% B2B. And so some of the decisions that we made were, were very deliberate and specific to the type of customer who we're trying to attract and that customer centricity, keeping their needs um, at, the, at the forefront of everything um, that we do. So um, Ritesh mentioned we're Placemakers and Myco. Placemakers is a heritage brand in the New Zealand construction market. We've been operating for 40 years, um, 64 branches nationwide, but the New Zealand uh, building and hardware industry um, has been a bit of a digital laggard. We've been behind sort of globally, um, and even in New Zealand, this industry um, has been behind. Um, so because of that, we're a very high touch, high service level, high cost model to serve our customers. So most of their interactions um, are person to person. They are they're physical, either they're in our branch every day, um, or they're calling our customers. And that's across 70,000 plus uh, trade customers buying a really, really broad range of products as well. So when, when I talk about discovery later, I think it's important to, to realize that we're not a, a narrow and deep range, we're a broad and deep range. There are 75,000 products across over 80 product categories. And so actually our customers being able to self-serve and get what they need became a real challenge for us as we went through um, that digital journey. Thanks for Yesh. I thought I would start by showing you the placemaker's vision from 2018. So this is actually a few years old, and it was when we were about to embark on this digital journey. Ritesh talked about it being two and a, two and a bit years old for us. And so, look, the, the vision today is not a whole lot different, but taking a step back to before we began this digital journey, look, our overall vision that no one is easier to do business with is still the same. Um, and there were a couple of things that I wanted to call out on this, and one was the, the focus area around being solutions-led. So I mentioned that B2B customers, the, the builder, or the tradesperson, um, the professional, was 95% um, of our revenue. And so part of what we wanted to focus on was being solutions-led. We didn't have the intention of just standing up an e-commerce store, um, self-serve for the B2C customer. We actually needed to get really close to what our customers needed, understand their pain points, and work through that to actually meet their needs. And one of the areas where we decided that we were going to win, and the business made a conscious decision uh, at this point in 2018, was through digital innovation. It was how we were going to differentiate from our competitors in the New Zealand market. And so one of the things that was really encouraging is that the, the business put this on their plan on a page. But we actually didn't have any of these digital building blocks or a number of those digital building blocks in place at this point in time. So we, the C-suite made the, the deliberate decision to say that it was going to be a focus area, and then Ritesh set about working out how we were going to do that, who the partners are that we would choose, and actually how we would deliver this value to our customers. Thanks, Mangesh. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think when we kicked off the journey in, in 2019, it would be fair to say that we were fairly immature in our digital competencies and definitely our customer-facing digital competencies. So we were barely more than a static presence. Um, from a placemaker's point of view, uh, we didn't even have an e-commerce store at that point. Fletcher Distribution had set up a, a separate digital ventures business unit um, that was running B2C e-commerce under a, another brand. And that was effectively a, a, a test and learn iterative business unit um, using sort of simple platforms and, and working through what our customers might respond to on the hardware market. But from placemakers, that core revenue driver, that core value driver, we were effectively just a, a website and a couple of uh, integrations to things like a customer being able to check their invoice. There was no um, ability for customers to order online. There was no ability for them to track their orders online um, or to really interact with the branch network online. So we've gone from that static presence to actually being the best in market. Um, in the hardware industry, and we think we're the best in market by some distance in a space of two and a bit years, um, moving through to, to almost being in that position where we're in e-business. And without giving uh, the game away too much, uh, we've gone from 0% of our sales online to over the last few months, 8 or 9% of our sales online before COVID lockdowns came in. So starting to get to that runway where we're getting to close to 10% of the business's revenue being transacted online and in such a short uh, space of time, when the in-person service levels that we offered um, are so good, that's actually really remarkable. And we did it, um, I've been really deliberate about the choices um, that we made. So one of the things that we began the journey with was delivering an integrated digital distribution omni-channel offer. And that integrated, uh, integrated word is really important. There are sort of three key things uh, that I think about um, when you talk about the success of a B2B um, e-business. Um, the first one is that you have to have a seamlessly integrated backend. Um, your customers actually need to be able to interact with your digital products in the way that they would be able to interact in branch. So that might be things like live pricing and live stock on hand, right through to how their orders are being managed and delivered. The second one is an optimised front end, and that's the bit that we've made real progress on recently. So after getting those that seamlessly integrated backend, getting all of our systems plumbed together, we started to work on the front-end product on the high-risk commerce cloud. And the third one then, which is around marketing and personalization and shouting out to that CVP, what, what have we developed for our customers? So, so those are sort of the three pillars and the sequencing that we've approached this in. So integrate the back-end, make sure everything works, our APIs will talk to each other and all of our systems are connected. Optimize the front-end, the customer-facing work, uh, and then really call out your CVP and do that through things like marketing and a better understanding of your customer um, through either automation or personalization. So we started by working on that um, integrated digital distribution piece. We then focused on establishing um, the digital skill sets within the team. And it would be fair to say that when we began this um, a few years ago, we weren't a particularly digitally literate business. Um, and so Ritesh and the team um, established the digital team and, and used um, a number of leaders, a number of key partners to bring those skill sets on board and build capability, engaging the C-suite, engaging the um, senior stakeholders and taking them on the journey. And then one of the other key things that, that we did that really delivered to that as well was making sure our change management um, throughout our branch network came along for the journey with us. So, so we've taken those, um, we've established a really strong change program. So how did we start that journey? Well, Ritesh had worked with Royal Cyber um, in the past. And so he engaged expert partners. So Royal Cyber was a key one. And we changed our delivery model. So we moved from waterfall project delivery to scaled agile. And scaled agile has been a really key game changer for us in terms of how we deliver product that our customers love. And one of the reasons that it's been such a key success for us is it's enabled us to bring our partners along for the, from, for the journey with us. So uh, Royal Cyber um, are part of our Agile release trade. Um, we've got the other teams that, that work with us from some of our edge systems have come on board our Agile release train. Our change team are part of our Agile release train. So we're all working together with the same understanding of what we're trying to deliver that's creating customer value. So 
Um, Ritesh introduced Scale Agile and he worked with Group Technologies, that's the, the Fletcher Building Group Technology team. Um, and they're the team that focus on things like our speed, our security, our system stability, um, as well as our solutions architecture. We've formed key software partnerships, so um, SAP, Bloomrich, MuleSoft, and those other edge systems that have been really important to making sure that we've actually got a sort of a best in breed in the full scope um, in the tech stack that meets our customer requirements. And then, as I mentioned before, bringing those branch teams on, that change team on, to make sure that our processes keep pace with our customer-facing digital capability. Thanks, Magesh. I, I talk about delivering customer value, and I think the key thing um, to the success that we've had is that we've been um, obsessed with solving customer pain points. So really deeply understanding our customer um, and giving them an interconnected omnichannel experience. So um, we've got uh, an awful lot of customer profile work that we've done. So we really understand who our customer is and we understand them because our branches and our staff, they know these people personally, despite the fact that there are 70,000 of them. And our key customer segment is the small to medium enterprise builder. So he has typically got a team of one to five tradespeople who work for him. Um, he'll build between five and 10 residential new build homes um, a year in New Zealand. However, there is a broader range of customers that we also look to within the industry. We've got group home builders and commercial customers, and we do stretch down into those uh, single or those solo tradies, we in New Zealand would call them the man in a van, um, and into that retail and DIY uh, market as well. But for us, that really core customer group that we're trying to problem solve for and that we want real stickiness with uh, is that small to medium enterprise builder. And look, they interact with us in a number of ways. They're, they're in store, so Placemakers has over 3 million store visits a year. Um, they're on the job site. We deliver a quarter of a million deliveries uh, to those sites, and we do that through our own transport fleet. Um, and we take 1.3 million phone calls. Uh, per year. So some of the solutions that we looked to were not your basic e-commerce solutions. They were actually getting close into that customer journey and understanding where those pain points were. So we released something called Skip the Counter um, or STC um, as we refer to it. And that effectively allows our customers to come in, scan, um, we have our, our yard people or our, our staff scan products for them. Uh, it goes through their, their phone app and they can leave the branch with their truck fully loaded with, with goods without having to go and queue at a counter. For those of you familiar with Amazon Go, it's effectively Amazon Go for the hardware industry. And that's all the pain points that our hours that we are busy in branch between 7 a.m. and 10 a.m. typically, when our tradespeople are picking up their materials before they start their work for the day. Uh, so we have this great rush of customers in, having to queue for a significant amount of time before being able to go and start their day. So we went through a, a whole lot of customer um, journey mapping to understand where those pain points are. Um, key to this sort of branch digitization as well has been reducing um, issues and error. So by digitizing our dockets and our receipting, um, we've managed to reduce the number of credits that we get through. So that's actually been a real time saver for our customers in terms of the rework that they've had to do and the, the type of engagement. Um, we've integrated with our transport management system. So as I mentioned, we run our own fleet of trucks. Our customers now have full visibility um, of their orders. When they're coming, they're able to book, add and amend orders. Uh, and they can do that and track it in an Uber style tracking of when their delivery is coming. So one of the primary um, customer phone calls that we get or, or customer queries that we get would be, where is my order? And now throw it by developing a scalable digital stack that offers this. And sorry, I guess we just jump back to the, the previous one. I won't take too much time on it. Um, we are able to, to show customers and, and reduce those phone calls. And then we wanted to offer our customers placemakers in their pocket. So the other query, the other issues that they're querying us for, what is my price? How much stock do I have? Um, and how do I manage my job um, as well? So typically our our tradespeople work in teams. So how do they manage to, to delegate to their other team members to collect their order? Um, how do they manage to order off their estimates? Um, and how do they go through that full end end journey around um, invoicing as well? Thanks, Magesh, we'll jump through. 
So as you can see, there are a number of customer touch points um, that that involves. And so that actually requires a fairly complex um, sort of interaction with our customers. So we've got, in, in this particular sense for our trade customers, we've got a mobile app and a trade portal. So they're customer facing uh, e-commerce or digital products. Uh, we want to integrate to our telesales team that integrates through to our delivery transformation, so our transport management system. We've got our branch digitization, um, which is our, our zebras, our customers coming in and scanning, or even just our own internal branch processes around receiving, et cetera. We pull live inventory and pricing. And so for our customers, across 70,000 customers, we actually have 500 million live pricing records that we pull in uh, effectively instantly. Um, and we do that in a, in a really fast and stable and secure manner through the APIs that Royal Cyber have delivered. We've got a customer information master and a product database. So we've got all of these complex edge systems and the sort of significant load on it. And so when we went to select um, the stack that we needed for it, partnering with Royal Cyber, um, SAP was the obvious choice for us because it was the one that was scalable um, and able to actually offer us the ability to go from um, sort of a really limited offering to a stable, secure offering across the business, across all of those various touch points, all of those various integrations, um, and one that we could continue to deliver customer value by continuing to develop on and add new features to. So um, in that sense, SAP Hybris was a, a really sort of clear choice for us and one that the Royal Cyber team have absolute expertise in sort of delivering value on. Um, we've moved from a previous single site B2C e-commerce presence on Shopify, um, which we knew was actually never going to be able to scale to our 64 branches and all of these touch points. When you're talking about a complex business like this, it needs to be an enterprise level system um, that is able to actually service our business requirements and our customer requirements. Thanks for Yesh. So the, the five things that have really enabled us to, to deliver customer value over this time is one, the technology stack that we've used. So that, those are the software platforms that we, we've gone with. SAP is our um, primary system. Um, we've got integrations by API through systems like MuleSoft, best of breed um, people, uh, software stacks like Bloomreach who, who offer us sort of um, best in market search and discoverability. Uh, two, we've got the key partners who are able to deliver this for us. Um, and when I say partners, I, I genuinely mean partners. I think Magesh maybe sold Royal Cyber a bit short when he introduced them as an IT services uh, business. For us, they've been a partner both in sort of that, that thought leadership um, space and that strategic space as well. So they're not just our delivery partner, our development partner. They've actually gotten really close along with our business strategy. Um, they've adapted their business to work with our business um, as well. So Royal Cyber have done a tremendous job of uh, integrating with our scaled agile methodology, integrating with the hours in which we work. And I know New Zealanders work sort of funny hours compared to, to the rest of the world based on time zones. Um, and the level of engagement um, and sort of commitment to helping the business succeed uh, that Royal Cyber have shown have been really key to our success. And so if we hadn't chosen the right partners in that regard, we wouldn't have been able to move nearly as fast as we have. Um, three is having the right solution architecture. So I've mentioned before, a scalable, stable stack, um, one that we can actually plug in best of breed edge systems to. Uh, we use a really older legacy ERP um, as well. So something that's able to, to consume all of the various systems that we put in, give us a single view of the customer um, and actually enable us to, to develop forward-facing things. So as we move into personalization and, and other solutions, having the right solution architecture in place from the get-go is really key. Four is delivery. So again, the way in which we um, have moved to an agile delivery process, um, which has enabled us, one, to, to deliver at pace. Um, and that's really key, especially when we got into things like the, the COVID lockdown. Um, and five is customer and staff engagement. So all of these things are great, but unless you take your, your team, your branches, your business on the journey, um, from both a senior stakeholder level to a practical uh, on the floor level, uh, these omni-channel experiences don't work. Um, if, we, if you don't keep pace with the process change, uh, there are pain points or things fall over. So 
putting all of those five things together um, are the key reasons for why placemakers have been success um, and has enabled us uh, to move at pace. So really quick timeline um, review here. And basically we were working on some of those backend integrations pre-2019, but the digital program really took off to the mid-2019. We released a trade app um, MVP uh, in late 2019. Um, in early 2020, we went into COVID lockdown and we launched our true version of the app in five days. So much closer to what you'd see today um, if you're experiencing the placemakers app. And that was because customers at the time couldn't order um, from placemakers in any other way. Um, our branches were closed. So to enable them to order from a full range of product, we launched our, our app V2. Um, and that brought in a much broader product range. So our MVP trade app, 2,000 products of those key products that customers needed, um, but very sort of simple functionality. Um, app V2 brought a lot new, of new functionality, but also massively expanded the product range so customers could shop a wider basket of goods. We launched Skip the Counter, so Amazon Go one, which allowed our customers contactless collection. Um, so again, um, avoiding those COVID issues or those COVID contact issues. Uh, and then we launched the trade portal uh, late last year. So um, as you can see, there was not a lot of customer facing action happening pre-2019. And then the rate at which we've delivered various customer facing products and various customer facing uh, features has really ramped up. Thanks, Vigesh. So happy days, we've, we've ramped up our, our product delivery, we've launched our app and we've launched our, our trade portal and we've got these phenomenal products in market. Um, and this, we had a really broad product range. I mentioned before about 75,000 SKUs um, and it's a broad and deep range. Um, and our conversion rate, once we went live with this really broad range, actually dropped significantly. And it dropped significantly due to one key reason, which was product discoverability. Customers couldn't find what they wanted on the placemakers platform. So in our original MVP, 2000 products and, and very key products. So uh, timber or lumber um, and some screws, et cetera, for that initial product launch. We then went broader to the full hardware um, and building supplies offer um, when we launched the trade portal um, and V2 of that. And one of the key things to our success has been that we always circle back to what are our customers saying about our products, running customer focus groups, um, running sort of in-branch in checks, as well as our sales team who are really closely keyed into what the customers are saying. And so the survey on, on week one is what's, what's the primary thing that's, um, that we can do to improve? And by far and away, product discoverability, or as our customers call it, search, uh, was their primary pain point. Um, and what would motivate them to, to purchase more often online, make it easy to find products and improve search. So that was more than giving them better pricing or any of those other sort of non-digital features was actually help us find what we need online. And so at that time we were using an out of the box search solution um, and the out of the box search solution, um, we in fairness as a business, because there is nothing wrong with that search solution, um, it's a keyword search, it worked fine, but we as a business didn't have the understanding of how to actually map for that search. So how to use the correct keywords, synonyms and weightings to actually get the right results. Um, certainly from a relevance point of view, as well as from a ranking point of view. Um, and it was going to take us an awful lot of time to actually build that capability internally. And at the same time, as I've mentioned before, New Zealand's been a little bit behind in this digital adoption and our product data that we had is horribly inconsistent. And we deal with over 400 key suppliers, but up to uh, 1,500 total suppliers. And the quality of data that we get from those varies from being uh, incredibly good to incredibly poor. But even the ones that are incredibly good, across them it's fairly inconsistent. And whether that be across dimensions, uh, keywords or, or terminology that they use, right through to naming convention um, in terms of the syntax and, and the structure of how our products are, are mapped. So 75,000 products, but, but no good way um, of tracking to them, which actually made us a bit lost in terms of how do we approach solving this problem ourselves. So what we did is we went to our, um, our key partner, Royal Cyber. Thanks, Vigesh. Mm -hmm. 
and we made the decision to, and we asked them to say what are our options for improving the product discoverability how do we build a better product discovery journey um, and Royal Cyber helped us run a, a tender or an RFP process we evaluated several search partners and we chose Bloomreach in the end um, because they actually are not just a search and dizing partner um, they actually offered us sort of a long-term strategic optionality around the different modules that they have um, and the way in which we could improve. So we, we reviewed a couple of keyword search partners and what we discovered was that whilst we might be able to implement them and they might give us better search results reason relatively quickly, that was all that they would ever do for us. By looking to Bloomreach uh, and integrating Bloomreach, not only do we get AI-powered product discovery, um, so that improved our search, um, enabled our browse, so enabled our category browse, as well as our catalog discovery. So not just search, but our customer paths to purchase and the varying ways in which they may want to purchase. So things like dynamic filters. Um, and one of the ways that our customers shop is primarily by stage of build. They build in a linear process. So we've developed a, a secondary path to purchase around stage of build so not just product category but the order or the sequence in which our customers may purchase that product and that's been enabled by um, the ai powered product discovery and filtering uh, that bloomreach has it's also enabled us to build our dynamic landing pages uh, so that's at a category um, as well as a search specific level um, helps us integrate our content um, and is the key thing that powers our promo campaigns currently as well. So the problem that we were trying to solve initially was just that insight search, that product discoverability. But by working with Royal Cyber and then partnering with us to show us the optionality, what we actually might want going forward, engaging with Bloomreach and working to implement Bloomreach, we've actually now set ourselves up not just for immediate tactical success with search, but also strategically the options for us going forward, which enable us to get closer to our B2B customers, building sort of dynamic search results for specific customer groups who we know purchase specific product sets so that the customer's getting personalized results based on who they are and what their requirements are. Thanks, Miguel. And so I won't go too deep into the numbers, except to say that when you listen to your customers and they tell you that something is a problem and you partner with experts to solve that problem, you see an immediate uh, impact in what that means. So this is our trade portal conversion rate and it had been tracking pretty solidly. So this was four weeks before we uh, launched Bloomreach, but actually our conversion had been very fairly low for the six or eight weeks prior to that. Um, we launched Bloomreach and it took us about two and a half to three months and the Bloomreach engagement team were actually exceptionally good at um, integrating into our agile release train, working with our business team, the Royal Cyber team, um, to understand the business requirements, not just the technical requirements. They trained up our web merchandisers. Um, they gave us an understanding of how to use analytics and dashboarding to continue to improve search. And so what you see on that week one um, is the launch of the Bloomreach search module on our B2B platform, so our, our portal and app, and an immediate lift uh, in um, site conversion. Week two, we made some configuration changes based on uh, the recommendations in the analytics dashboard. And then week three, we see another lift in um, search conversion rate. And what you actually see is that that's lifted the overall site conversion as well so it's been the leading indicator that's dragged our overall site conversion up um, and we're now performing at what we think is, is not just industry best but sort of in, in top quartile for b2b conversion rate uh, for our trade portal so key to that was not just to having the technical understanding and the technical implementation but also a partner who worked with you on the business understanding to deliver the right outcome but i think that's me Magesh, so far for, for the run through of the journey. Happy to answer any questions as we go through. Hey Tom, hey Tom, thank you. Thanks for the for a very detailed and uh, very business-centric uh, presentation. So what, what, what were the KPS uh, for the project when you went into it? And uh, how, how, how did you convince your C-suite to uh, invest into the, this uh, um, Bloomridge solution? Right. I, I, I'm pretty sure like you understand the benefit of it. Like how did you end up convincing uh, everyone else that this is essential for the business? 
Yeah, uh, and I'm I'm happy to talk to that, Bagesh. But Ritesh, did you want to give your view on that and and how you took the C-suite on the journey? So, Tom, I think the 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 answer is that we had a, a real business challenge in discovery, and and the business challenge in discovery was an impact which was quite noticeable in terms of revenue and adoption. So that created a burning platform for the organization to look at some different optionality. Um, so the case was quite clear. If, if we didn't have a search platform optimized to generate revenue, our adoption scores would not reach our target, which means our, our NOV of digital revenue targets would not be realized. So that was the burning platform. So we had that and plus, and plus our customer complaints were, were quite strong in terms of the feedback surveys you saw regarding search. In terms of um, the key KPIs, again, it was driven through revenue adoption and what's right for the customer experience. We knew that search across this industry was quite poor. And if we, if we had got it right, it would, it would make our platform not only be very competitive compared to our competitors, but also product greater customer experience, which we didn't think was available in New Zealand right now. So that was the, some of the key KPIs. In terms of decision-making process, it was quite simple. It was just what most organizations do from an ROI perspective, what, what the cost is, what the benefits are, and that just created a clear decision-making process. Uh, the, the executives uh, are quite engaged in digital. They're, they're quite aligned in terms of the vision for placemakers. So that just makes it a lot easier having these discussions and getting business cases through. Thank you, Ritesh. That's very insightful. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I will uh, invite... Just, just to yeah, that, um, the way that we've been able to keep the C-suite engaged in it, and it's probably a, a good learning because we've had a few false starts over um, the, the two years of, of the program, is the governance structure that we have in place. So um, the execs are, are engaged and willing to give us the time but we also involve them in the decision-making process, the product roadmap, um, and the regular, not just operational updates from a business point of view, but also delivery updates. So that, that frequent sort of, um, and deliberate checkpoints um, and gates around when you choose to do something have been really key. So if I was starting this again, the, one of the things that I'd say was the key part of success was the way that we engaged the exec um, level and the governance structure of this um, and frequently as well the, the time frames which we do it. Thank you Tom, that's, that's very helpful. So I'll invite Jason now um, from Bloomridge to, to basically talk about the product itself, what Bloomridge uh, does and how, how it does. So um, Jason, over to you. Yeah, first I'd like to extend uh, my gratitude to Tom for doing such a great job of of doing my job and, and explaining you know what it is that the that the solution does. You know, ultimately, what Bloomreach believes is that when it comes to B2B, the industry as a whole is kind of getting ready to we're moving into sort of the third phase of maturity. When when a lot of B2B companies first started to go digital. You know, you got to think back like 20 years to the early 2000s. You know, it was everybody had their PDF catalog. They put it up. They had one price and they showed it to everybody. And there was a lot of, you know, yeah, that there, there were some people who bought into that right away. But that created challenges for a lot of companies. You know, it's different. Most companies in distribution don't go to market trying to be the low price solution right there so it creates this dissonance between the businesses where you've got the offline business trying to compete on value add and services and the off and the online business has no choice but to compete on price and that's not a sustainable business model so when you get into the later you know 20 aughts into the teens this is when the idea of the endless aisle opened up and suddenly everybody's like hey we can be the one-stop shop to find everything that you need. So we're going to add more vendors, add more products. You, you look at, you know, this is right around the time that Amazon got into the B2B space, you know, adding hundreds of thousands of products to their industrial and scientific line. But that's not a zero cost. You know, the cost of adding an incremental SKU is not 
it's not huge, but it's not zero. And once you get to the point of having, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of SKUs, you, you run into that tree falling in a forest problem, right? Just because you have a SKU, does, if your customers can't find the SKU, if you can't manage the product data to that scale, you're, you can actually find that your cost to manage all of these products might actually fall behind the additional revenue because your customers can't find the products to begin with. So now what companies have done in distribution is they are seeing there is an opportunity to create a sustainable competitive advantage. And that goes right back to the foundational statement that Tom shared at the beginning of his conversation. No one is easier to do business with than, than us. And, and how you have to think about how you do that in a digital manner. You make it easy to find the products that customers want to look for. You want them to be able to use the terms that are meaningful for them. B2B is notorious for having a lot of jargon terms, regional terms. You know, when a nurse in a hospital is searching for a glove and an electric lineman working for a contractor is working for a glove, is searching for a glove, they want very different kinds of gloves, right? It's on us as the distributors, as the companies who are adding values to our customers to learn about who that customer is, what do they want, and when they search for something, what do they mean? So, so you've got this, this opportunity here to, to bring together not just the product data, which has been the foundation of most B2B companies' e-commerce to this point, but you can also bring in the customer information. Who is that customer? What are they doing? What are they searching for today? And go ahead and do next slide, Magesh. And, and this is really where Bloomreach shines, is, is bringing that product data, and an understanding semantically about what all these terms mean, what these attributes mean, how do you convert between different units of measure, um, which, you know, which products are more relevant to certain customer types. And you bring that together to create a composite discovery experience by bringing in who is the customer? What are they searching for? What do other customers like them? What does their behavior tell us about how they're trying to solve their problem? The ability to bring together that customer data and that product data and then execute it on it very, very quickly. So you, you need the business team to be able to do this, to be able to create boost and bury rules, to, to tune the, the search, to create promotions, recommendations without having to cut tickets to IT and put that additional burden on them is, is a huge part of it. And this is fundamentally what Bloomreach, the Bloomreach experience platform is designed to do. It's how do you, how do you engage with your customers? How do, you, uh, how do you create the experience of the website itself? And how do you layer on top of this a discovery process that can not just understand the what, but give you some insights into the why? And doing this all in, in a headless first system allows us to partner with you know the leading e-commerce platform companies sap you know is, is is such a powerful tool and such a powerful partner for us in this in this program and our our ability to work with them hand in hand to, to put together a solution that really worked for for placemakers is something we're very proud of so that's my that's the summary of who we are I'll quickly um, invite um, Scott uh, to talk about the SAP Commerce platform, which, which is um, driving the entire e-commerce for placemakers. Thanks, Magesh. Um, I'll make it a presenter. You could make me a Shall presenter, please. So while while uh, uh, Scott is uh, presenting, um, so present for you, Jason. So how will how, like the the uh, Bloombridge product search solution, right? Like how, how was it adapted generally in the market? Like uh, more B2C customers are using it. Like how is it adapted in the B2B industry? Could you talk a little bit about it? It's, it's really taken off in the last uh, 12 to 18 months, I think. 
some of it I think has more to do with the fact that the digital maturity of B2B tends to be a little bit behind uh, the consumer good market. So, you know, when Ritesh was talking about how, you know, we, you know, we were a little bit behind, but we saw there was this big opportunity to, to make that leap forward and start to set ourselves apart from not just, you know, our, our competitors locally, but also when you think about some of these global distribution um, disruptors uh, who are trying to move into these spaces, that ability to create an experience where as your, you know, as your customers are using you, like they put, they put out a term, like I need searching for this, for you to be able to say, yeah, I know what that is. Here, here's what I, here's, here's what you need. And you know what, I'm even going to put some thought into this and I'm going to put the items that are most relevant to you at the top without anybody having to really anybody from the placemaker side having to put a lot of effort or time into managing that those rules manually is a you know has has the potential to be a real difference maker you know in this as the market becomes more competitive online yeah and i think just to add to that one of the the key opportunities that we saw with bloomreach was that it stretched across not just our b2b products the app and portal but also into b2c and we can get quite different results for B2C customers than for B2B customers based on what we understand the intent of their search to be um, and the likelihood that they're shopping a particular product suite or product catalogue without actually having to manually make those changes ourselves. The, the Bloomridge algorithm from a web merchandise point of view will boost different products for different B2B use cases than for different B2C use cases. So the one product actually was the only one that we could see that would work across our full product suite. Thank you, Tom. Yep, that helps. Um, Scott? Yeah, <coughs> thanks, Nagesh, and, and thanks again um, um, to the team, um, both from Royal Cyber and, and the team from Placemakers for the insights and the opportunity to speak. Um, rather than talk necessarily about um, SAP software and what we are, I would rather think it would be valuable for the attendees. You know, they often come here to listen to how placemakers got it done and what it, the, what, what the results were for them as they built business cases for their own digital transformations. So, given our our global reach, um, which we very um, presenters very kindly talked about, I wanted to look at what we see in some of the mega trends um, for B two B in particular with digital leverage perhaps our customer base which is pretty large to, to talk about some of the, some of those trends and see how businesses can maybe use that to um, to build their business cases for change in b2b um, we will at the end get into a little bit about the capabilities that drive that but really I'm going to um, leave software discussions for another time so I guess our insights come fundamentally from those first two stats we've got some 2500 plus customers running SAP commerce and those customers in B2B alone uh, transacted um, 576 billion US dollars of gross merchandise value um, through those systems. And we can measure that and without revealing anything to anyone else, of course, look at what that is meaning um, across that very broad customer base um, spread all around the world um, and, and, and analyze some of the trends that are happening. Um, we've been doing it for a while. so. You know, we talked about the growth of it and um, where, where it came from in, in terms of um, the, the, the emergence of just a just a price list online through to more complex business transactions. And you can see that that's a, a very much an exponential curve, which sort of from 2014, I guess, has pretty much doubled through to 2019. Um, so 13% year on year. It'd be interesting to see where that what will happen now, of course, because something quite major. Uh, happened in 2020 um, and um, the COVID pandemic and the associated lockdowns and restrictions on the construction industry and other other B2B ordering um, industries really drove an, an, immense sh an immense shift. So looking really on the chart on the left from the buyer's perspective, those who prefer their journey to be online for the entire journey is actually 70% that prefer uh, and yet 
the blue bars are what are actually uh, what we're actually getting in terms of um, in-person traditional methods of doing business, and it's only the yellow there that is getting uh, to those different processes within a B2B journey, uh, get, getting to do that transaction entirely online. The remote grey in the middle, of course, is your call centre and the things that placemakers have talked about having. So they want 70%, but they're only getting 22, 22, 36 and 35, uh, according to McKinsey, across parts of that buying journey. One thing we find in B2B, and I find as a person convincing customers to come on a digital B2B journey, is that sellers are often reluctant to adopt it as well. The uh, equivalent in, I guess, a placemaker's context of a trade sales rep or a B2B sales rep, they, they have an opinion that they're, 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 they're the people who can guide their customers to buy. Uh, digital can't possibly replace me. Um, and I, I, I'm a vital key in the, in, 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 a cog in the, in the machine and digital will, will, will never sort of see me go the way of the dinosaur. But COVID changed all that because like a lot of other people like me, like probably everyone on the call, we're all working from home right now. Certainly those in New Zealand are. Um, and the seller's opinion changed through the course of the pan pandemic and it's changed permanently. Um, so by the end, 75% um, were finding online as effective as in-person in terms of how they could sell. But it, it tends not to be just online as in Zoom calls like this. It's online through transacting with the customer online as well. Um, another B2B customer of ours, um, just a, a short suburb away from, from placemakers um, who sells uh, uh, consumer products and, and beverages, um, that they've dealt with that by making sure that their sales reps are comped if someone in their territory buys online, even if they never, never touched that transaction. And so things like that are important to consider with your change management as you look to introduce B2B models. The, the sellers are, um, and I won't say as important as the buyers, but they're also very important. This graph is actually the order volumes from our system. In grey, um, 2019, so there's a gradual tick up for sure. Uh, 2020 shown in yellow. Um, and the point at which the pandemic came in, uh, you can see the, the marked increase of orders through the platform that we experienced and that we were able to measure through that time. And I can say that it has been sustained uh, through uh, 2021. So it, was a, it wasn't a blip, it wasn't something that will go back to normal, it was a sea change. So looking at the mega trends driving that B2B um, processes, the first one's been spoken about a bit, it's people expecting the experience they get as a consumer when they're at home shopping in their B2B experience. So that's all the obvious stuff that we all know from our internet shopping. Can I see my status of my order, et cetera, et cetera. But B2B is, is that plus more in terms of processes. You of course have um, the persona that Tom showed um, that builder may want his apprentice to be able to order certain things, but not others. He may be, have, a, have a credit limit. He may have uh, limits based on a predefined uh, job schedule and uh, work breakdown structure matched to an order volume through the periods of that job where that apprentice can only collect what he's allowed to. So giving B2B journeys that are more complex like that is um, stacks on top of the consumerization and goes to the digitization of those more complex um, processes. We're also seeing a rise in new, in new digital engagement models. So um, can a traditional uh, call center uh, perhaps approach to ring up and make an order. Can that call center operator redirect the person back to the cheaper channel, the more efficient channel for both the customer and the B2B supplier uh, by making that order online? We're seeing the rise of direct to consumer channels. I feel that in New Zealand building products, there's a, there is a, 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 a well-established channel that placemakers is a key part of it. The distribution business of Fletcher Buildings are a key part of. Um, and, but there are direct-to-consumer brands coming around the side. So it, it may be um, that those brands that are coming in areas like Power Tools, uh, where they bring in their own brand and market it directly to consumers with a mainly online presence, it's more of that one that's a threat that you need to counter as a business like Placemakers than necessarily, you know, you're already direct-to-consumer yourself. 
business and service offerings. A, a number of other Fletcher building companies we, we speak to about this, where you have the concept, concept of a consumer coming to your website to be ed educated about your building products, to be inspired, but to actually buy that, it'll be a tradesperson. And to specify that, it'll be an architect or a kitchen designer or a, a bathroom designer. Um, so dealing with those combinations of the service that your partners provide and the products that you provide as a product provider is key. Uh, and finally, marketplaces. So why would we really want to hold stock of something like, let's say we want to sell ride-on lawnmowers for $20,000 each? Why not have a kiosk with that in store or online where the, the, the user can order it and, and you don't have to hold the stock and, and uh, the, the vendor can look after or that your supplier can look after their own product content through the marketplace that you own. Um, they can order it, but by the way, when they come to pick it up from you or have it delivered by you, would you like to add all of these other things that, that placemakers supply? So there's some of those mega trends. And I'll just finish here with what that means on capabilities. Mega trends down the left, um, customer engagement. So B2B audience are expecting that to be seamless. We've talked a lot about pricing, frictionless buying processes. It's a lot harder to do that in B2B than it is to B2C, but it is becoming doable and the growth and the, and the, the, the size of the prize we feel is a lot, well, the data shows is a lot greater. A lot of discussion on product um, content and um, that seems to be a, a very common thing. I think you're dead right that you have the best experience in the game at Placemakers in New Zealand as we work with a number. Um, it's a special challenge with the nature of the SKUs that businesses like Placemakers hold that are 70,000 SKUs Tom talked about, different brands and types of the same thing, different descriptions of it for different parts of business or different types of buyers. So de dealing with that is, is, is a very, is a, particularly stringent problem in, in your business. Uh, responsive service, so how can your call center see what's going on in the server in, in the digital world for, from the customer's perspective? And finally, order management. Nothing happens until uh, the order gets delivered and, and, and the value isn't completed until that point. So we find that, uh, that particularly B2B customers are in it for convenience, they're in it for saving time because their time is their money. Uh, Order management and fulfillment is something that isn't just a traditional commerce area. In fact, if you look at that whole bottom row, those things are not traditional commerce areas. They loop into ERPs and service desk software and so forth. So that's an area where uh, B2B is something that needs some an idea, ideas that span the enterprise. So with that, I think we're at time and I'll um, hang up and open up for questions. But thank you again for the opportunity to present. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Um, so there, there are a few questions coming through. I'll probably <coughs> run it um, run it by the forum panel here. So uh, start with Hema, like as a delivery manager who worked on this uh, project, right? I think you may be able to answer this question. So how how long how long did it uh, take to implement Broombridge, and what is the what are the like high level steps involved in doing that? Hi Manish, hi team. Uh, so it took us approximately 12 weeks for the implementation and there were four key phases of this implementation. Uh, the first being uh, the pixel implementation where we captured the customer behavior, what they are searching on the site and you know what products do they add to the cart and what do they finally check out and what do they browse on the site. So all these customer behaviors were captured by other pixels and they were fed into the Bloomreach algorithm. And the second phase was where we shared the entire product catalog of the placemakers to the Bloomridge, uh, which are being used as part of their engine as well to boost and bury products and then to return the product details. And the third phase was API integration, where we uh, used the Bloomridge APIs, uh, which were returning the products as per the search results with the relevance. And uh, we basically used three APIs uh, for placemakers. And uh, post all these three key phases, then there is a, uh, a listen and tune uh, phase where the bloom reach, uh, you know, they would uh, validate and reconcile the pixel information and then they would tune the APIs to, uh, to send the relevant product. So those were the four key phases um, of this implementation. 
Cool. And uh, how do you how do you I mean how do you feel about the experience of working with the Bloombridge product itself, Hema? Like the team and the product itself. Yeah. So this was the first time that Royal Sebas started, um, you know, doing a, an integration for Bloomreach. And uh, we had a, an initial discovery workshop where we understood how Bloomreach works and what are the key parts of it. And um, the Bloomreach team all through the journey were very, uh, you know, collaborating with us. And they also helped us understand what are the customizations needed. We worked with our business and the architects and uh, we figured out, uh, you know, post Bloomreach implementation or what are the other customizations that we would need um, to display the results. So it, it was a very, uh, quite a quite a wonderful journey uh, where they worked hand in hand with us and uh, they guided us uh, at every step. Thank you, thank you, Hema. And Tom, a uh, quick question for you. So um, if, like, at, what 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 are the trigger points for for any customers right some of our uh, audience members they'll be uh, interested in or, or maybe thinking whether bloomrich is right solution for them or not so what are the trigger points at which they need to start thinking about implementing uh, a based solution and uh, so a follow-up question maybe i'll club them together right so what would i mean if you have to do the placemakers project all over again right would you start with bloomrich as the first solution rather than wait till a certain point to implement that mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll answer the second part of that that first, which is to say, absolutely, if we had our time again, uh, we would have began with Bloomreach from um, the absolute first instance. Once we put our enriched product data um, onto the portal, that's when we saw a drop-off um, of conversion and a drop-off of usage because we were offering a poor experience. And it is much harder to get a customer who has had a poor experience back uh, than it is to engage new customers or get customers to use it for the first time. So we did miss an opportunity there by um, not seeing that that search um, and the site search that we had was going to be a problem. Um, and then as Hema mentioned, we, we acted pretty quickly. It only took us 12 weeks to fix, but there were that's 12 weeks of sort of lost opportunity. And in a market that's moving uh, this fast, three months or a quarter is a lot of missed opportunity um, to increase engagement and increase conversion. Uh, so the, the trigger points for us, if I was looking at this from the get-go with, with the knowledge that I have now, would be understanding the state of the product data uh, before you looked to, to put it through um, and understanding the breadth of your range. Um, Jason made some really good points as well, in particular with B2B customers about using really sort of different terminology, whether that be um, jargon or regional variations um, that heavily impact that as well. So I'd suggest in B2C, probably less important and with a much more narrow range. So if you're thinking um, retail apparel, for example, customers generally know the, the terms in which to search. But when you move to B2B and you're dealing with slang jargon and a number of dimensions and product dimensions become really key to the customer finding what it is that they need. Um, but those are often articulated in different ways. So have we taken that first approach to, to do a, an assessment of our current product data before pushing it live? We would have gone with Bloomreach before um, we ran into the problems. Thank you, Tom. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much. So um, uh, before we wind up the call, I think we're a little bit over time. So, um, so winding remark, I just want to summarize um, the Royal Cyber's experience and what we bring to the table as an organization. Um, so so we, we, are, uh, we have done a significant number of uh, uh, commerce implementations. Um, so both in B2B and B2C uh, sector, and especially in Australia and New Zealand region, we have done quite a lot of uh, B2B projects with, uh, with um, so which, which we, can, we have learned a lot and we can apply that learning across the uh, industry. And it's a large SAP commerce delivery. We have a large uh, SAP commerce delivery team about uh, at this point, 100 plus commerce developers with more than 50% uh, certified uh, uh, in SAP commerce. And we have a very strong presence uh, both in uh, uh, most of our development happens in offshore centers, but we have people working in North America uh, where, where we have a lab division where we innovate on, on customer solutions as well. Uh, we have a strong partnership with SAP working alongside uh, uh, Scott Bagley's team, implement deliver quite a lot of projects on SAP Commerce. 
again we talking about our delivery centers um, we have uh, um, growing delivery centers both uh, in india pakistan and also now now in um, australia and new zealand as well uh, and apart from just delivering projects we also continuously um, uh, do innovations by building additional products and uh, plugins that can be readily used by our customers instead of uh, starting from scratch we do all the investment and uh, pre-work and discovery needed to uh, enable our customers uh, our, our innovation and research team uh, spends quite a significant investment on doing those solutions so um, Royal Cyber as a company, we come from a very, very humble beginning and uh, after 20 years, we still keep that uh, humbleness with us. We work closely with uh, our, our customers, like that's a first customer, right? Every customer we treat like our first customer, work integrate completely in, uh, uh, to, to help them grow and succeed. So with that, I will um, close this session and thank you so much for uh, Tom, uh, Jason, Scott and Hema for, for joining this uh, roundtable. It's a very in, uh, meaningful information that our all of our participants can take and start thinking about uh, implementing uh, and uh, achieving similar success. Thank you so much. Thanks, Magesh. Thanks, Magesh. Thank you. Mm -hmm.